We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blocks Podcast, the Bearcast. We are back here after the Oregon game on a Monday night. Um, I am Rob Wong, one of your co-hosts, along with my other co-host, Andy, is here after his journey into Duck Territory, where he spent the weekend. Andy, how, how was, was your, your weekend? weekend? I'm alive. I'm happy to say I'm alive. Um, Oregon was a total blast. I loved going out into... Uh, Eugene on Friday night and uh, getting experience their version of Kips. Yes, I was at their version of Kips as a 30-year-old. Um, so that was fun. I got to see Avi for a little bit. That was great. I want to give a shout-out because I know these Oregon Ducks fans are listening. I won't be able to list them all, but at least Ian, Chandler, Janoff, Stefan, Doran, Mike. Uh, I'm going to forget someone. Uh, Calvin. Uh, you know, Brett, all these guys that are pretty diehard Oregon fans. There's about 18 of them, all in jerseys, and then me, the Cal fan. And then full in a section with one other Cal fan at the very bottom. And every time Cal would do something well, I would stand up and uh, look down at the other guy and just, like, point at him. And, you know, it was like one of those bonds formed in enemy territory. But I honestly think I'm going to go to the Oregon game every year because – the flight up to Portland was super affordable. The uh, rental car, all that's really affordable. The biggest disappointment was that we didn't travel that well. Because um, when I was up there in 2007, we traveled really, really well. We had basically like two sections. And we just had like a really top top corner uh, section this time. And um, so that was a little bit of a bummer. But, you know, Oregon fans couldn't have been any nicer, which makes me think that we've been really uh, – not competitive in the rivalry so they've softened up because when i was there in 07 someone got arrested trying to fight me i didn't do anything they just came at me for wearing a cal jersey and then in 09 i had some other issues where people were kind of like really really intense and i know it's that way for the washington games so one of my buddies actually grabbed me and then paraded me around and started going we got a bears fan here and then was like trying to get Oregon fans to start yelling at me. And everyone was like, good luck. Have a good time. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was great. I had a total blast. Um, I obviously took full advantage of Cal being in the lead for the first uh, two quarters. 
and then being competitive. And every time, you know, the, the Ducks fans would be like, what's going on? I was like, oh, you all have never seen a defense before? Well, what's up? We're here. Uh, I was super obnoxious. I was dancing in the stairs every single time we, like, did something well. I was, you know, the touchdown, obviously crazy. So really, really good time. And Autzen is just such a hard place to play. So doing well, Rob. How about yourself? I'm going to also point out that probably the reason we traveled well in 07 was because we were also the sixth best country in the nation. So I think that had something to do with that, at least back in that in that year, at the very least. So, uh, But I mean, I watched the game from home. I was screaming my head off as I was running the game threads uh, when we were up. And I, I said this at halftime. And... Uh, at least to myself, I was just like, if we don't score more points from these turnovers, we're not going to win this game. Lo and behold, we got three turnovers and only seven points off of it. And that pretty much was the downfall for us in the second half of the game. But we can talk about the game in a little bit. Uh, first off, we have some housekeeping. So we've we've said that if you write a comment for us uh, about the podcast, we will read it on the air. So Andy currently has all of our reviews from Apple Podcasts, because I believe Apple Podcasts is the only podcast service you can use to rate podcasts, Um, and a lot more people have reviewed us, given us five stars, and Andy is going to now read the comments. So, Andy, to you. All right, let's get into it. We'll see uh, my reading comprehension skills. It's like going back to third grade. So, first one, September 25th. 2019 from son of ander the third who i think i may know uh five stars dope show great cal analysis and insight thank you for quenching my cal football thirst go bears go bears indeed uh the next one is from robert vw on the same day five stars great podcast rob and andy provide a thorough analysis of the previous and upcoming games in a thoughtful and realistic manner. Before the Ole Miss game, I was delighted by their tailgate ticket stats, uh, which made the travel a lot more fun knowing many Cal fans would be at the game. That is a shout-out for you, Rob. Great work. Uh, This one is from September 30th, Tony Yam, 24. Perfect for all Cal fans. Five stars. The show is a must-listen for all Cal fans. They do a great job of detailing and analyzing the games, also provide some optimism with the perfect amount of good old-fashioned Cal cynicism mixed in. Thank you so much, Tony. We greatly appreciate that. Um, next one is from G. Jordan Ray on October 1st. Loves the pod, uh, the necessary voice of Cal fandom. Thank you so much, G. Jordan Ray. Uh, the next one is from Brandino Duff on October 2nd, 2019. It is titled The Best Time of the Year. Accessible, thoughtful, and fun. Great recaps and previews of Cal football give a deeper and sometimes more personal insight into the schemes, planning, and strategies of the team each week. High football IQ not necessary to follow along with the greater themes of discussion. I don't yes. know what, what to, to say, say about, about that, that one, one though. <laughs> high, fu- high, high football, football IQ, IQ not, not needed. needed. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a nice reflection on my skill set. <laughs> Both, Both of our, our skill, skill, skill sets. sets. <laughs> Uh, the next one, Cal Bears are great. Oh, I agree. Uh, from October 3rd, 2019, best Cal Bears podcast out there. Says so much about Cal, who I've grown up loving. 
Love the perspective and is the only good podcast about college sports. Keep up the amazing work. While I'm sure that's not true, we greatly appreciate it. Um, And then the last one here from Golden Bear 92, October 6, 2019. Very recent. uh, Yesterday. Great Cal Bears coverage. I enjoy the well-informed and intelligent breakdowns and analysis of Cal football games. I always learn inside knowledge about Cal and football in general with every episode. Keep up the great work. Go Bears. So that was awesome. Uh, I know there was a lot there. We'll do a better job of keeping consistencies with it. But thank you all for taking the time to review us. We greatly appreciate it. And if you have a good review, a bad review, or just want to leave a comment, we'll read it. Uh, And we appreciate everyone who listens. I would just want to echo that. Thank you so much for however many years we've been doing this now and the people listening, um, even though you don't, you know, put a like or a, or a rating or a comment down, still greatly appreciate you. We just love you listening to our voices. Um, it may put you to sleep, but hey, maybe that's our job for the week for you. Our voices put you to sleep. Maybe you need it after cardiac cow games that we've seen over the last however many seasons now. We but are, we are our, the meditation, Rob. We are the meditation. <laughs> and don't you dare age me by saying how long we've been doing this for. There's no reason to go there. <laughs> we are the same age, so it's not like much, much changes. Uh, but, all right, let's get right into it. Um, we have a bunch of questions from our listeners. And so I think... People have liked our little setup of going through these questions and answering them. If they overlap with some of the points that we wanted to talk about regarding the Oregon game, then uh, we'll get to it. Uh, So we're going to answer the questions, then we'll go into the Oregon game. But before that, a brief recap of the Oregon game. Cal takes on number 13, Oregon, in Autzen. This would be the last time that Cal faces Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. Thank goodness he's finally gone. Cal loses 7-17. Cal actually took the lead early in the first quarter, um, 7 to nothing after a 22-yard pass from Devon Modster to Christopher Brown Jr. This was after an Ashton Davis pick of Justin Herbert in the end zone. That led to Cal leading 7-0, finally, and held them scoreless for the rest of the half. Third quarter comes around. Camden Lewis hits a 28-yard field goal to make it 7-3. Without a minute and 30 seconds left in the third, um, Cyrus Habibi Likio pushes in a one-yard run, and that pushes the lead, or that gives them the go-ahead score, and Oregon goes up 10-7. In the fourth quarter, a uh, one-yard pass from Jalen Red to from Justin Herbert leads Oregon up to 17-7, and the Bears never got a chance to score again. Um Overall, first down stats, Cal 12, Oregon 26, net rushing, Cal 66, Oregon 190, Cal with a measly 2.2 per rush, uh, passing Cal with uh, Devin Modster with 190, 17 completions on 34 attempts with two interceptions, and Justin Herbert, 214 yards, 20 completions on 33 attempts with one touchdown, or one interception. Both quarterbacks only threw one touchdown today. Uh, some defensive stats for you. Coin Dang led all tacklers with seven tackles, seven solo and five assisted, one tackle for loss and one fumble recovery. Uh, Luke Beckett was second with nine tackles and one forced fumble. Evan Weaver, six tackles, five solo, one assisted, and one tackle for loss, but with also one breakup. 
And that was pretty much it. The Bears forced two fumbles. Um, I, realistically, they only forced one. The other one was just Troy Dye just trying to put the ball towards his body and just totally losing the ball out of his hands as he did it. Uh, but the Bears as a team with six tackles for loss and one sack on them, and also the one interception for Ashton Davis, which was returned for 31 yards. So there you have it. That was pretty much the game. Uh, some of the other notables from that game was that we lost uh, our starting center, Mike Safel, to a, what looks like a foot injury. They're listing it, on the at least on the broadcast, they listed it as a lower leg injury. Uh, he was helped off the field un- and from the sideline was taken off via a cart. We also lost Valentino Daltoso uh, in the second half. Um, his status is up in the air as of right now. I believe Coach Wilcox probably would have talked about it today at the media availability, uh, but I have not seen the video yet, so I do not know what that is. But, and I don't, I'm unsure if Daltoso played. Uh, after he came off with that injury for a bit too. So he might have gone back in. But from what I... I did not see him. So that's it. And we'll get into the questions. Andy, the first question for you. I have been really impressed by Trayvon Clark. Do you think he can sustain this? Yeah, I mean, this is... Yeah, it's a great question. Um, he has to be like up there in regards to maybe like the player that I'm most pleased with on the offensive side of the football, uh, outside of maybe like Jake Curran. <laughs> like these uh there's there's few options I think that have been as consistently good as he's been. Um and there's only I think optimism for him being even better. So I do I think he can sustain it? Yes. Uh I've said this before, but the the skill set at receiver this year is just a different breed than we had last year. Um, the blocking is better. The physicality can be better. The separation is better. Uh, we don't always get them the ball, but when we do, uh, you know, there's space where last year it just seemed like we got clamped down so much. Like, and there's a, I could single out some players, but I don't really want to. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just think that Trevin Clark has been, as advertised, if not even better, because he was a little quiet coming out of fall camp regarding, I remember like kind of asking a couple of the guys, like, how's he looked so far? And they're like, oh, he's getting there. But it wasn't a matter of like, oh, you know, this this kid's going to be a a star or anything like that. And what we've seen is someone that is super dependable. Um, I honestly think my own perspective is a little bit limited because I was sitting up in like the 69th row of Austin Stadium and it it was hard to, to exactly see, but I know that there were a couple of catches that he made um, in the game that were just ridiculous. And I'm, it's so much, it's very exciting to see it in person and see, um, him do that against what could arguably be a top five, if not the best defense in college football this year, which is kind of crazy to say. Uh, so I, I have plenty of optimism, but I am also, you know, a disclaimer. I'm someone that runs high on optimism as well. Yeah. I think Trayvon's one of those guys that along with Kikoa, that, you know, going into the season, we said, these guys have to produce. If these guys don't produce, we're going to struggle a lot. And the production, by production, I guess we also, we did mean the stats. But at the same time, are they getting enough separation? Are they getting open? That's the big part. 
Because if they're getting open, that gives the quarterback an opportunity to throw to them. Um, like, we're not going to have the NFL-type quarterback that can throw into college-tight windows. Like We're going to need to either throw them open or then be open to get you know some yards after the catch. You're seeing that. It's just a matter of, as you said, the de- the delivery from the quarterback to the wide receivers. That's the that's the biggest thing. That's the question mark in this entire formula. So we'll see how that moves going forward. I mean, as of right now, we've had games where when Kakoa was in was great, and now with Trayvon when he's in, I think I feel like he's like a fully a go now. Like he understands the playbook fully. I think coming in in the summer it took him a little bit to, to get into the groove of things and learn the playbook and learn his role. And and I saw him get frustrated a couple times early on in the season just because of, you know, maybe he wasn't getting out of his breaks right. Maybe he was getting, you know, stuffed at the line or, you know, maybe he was open and the quarterback just wasn't getting the ball to him and he was getting frustrated. But judging from this Oregon game, like he, he had fun. The ball was thrown, I think, 11 times. And the dude made catch after catch after catch. And I feel like he's he's gonna be that guy. He I, he has that feeling of a like a Kanavai Noah for me. He has he has really good hands, and his body control is really great. And I do feel like we're gonna be throwing. We have, I mean, all in all, we have a lot of possession receivers. Like Trayvon's good when you throw it anywhere in his direction. We all know what Jordan Duncan can do when you throw in his direction. Um, and of course, if we get Kakoa back too, like all three guys ten are pretty great at catching the ball as long as it's within their catch radius so i feel like once we get everyone healthy and maybe this bye week is the perfect time for that but yeah that's that's my thought on the question but we shall move on and that leads perfectly into our next question how do the bears make the most of this bye week player recovery fine-tuning the offensive playbook depth chart reevaluation, and the follow-up up addendum question of that would be is garbers the difference Um, yeah, really good question. I, I think that, uh, I would love to clarify the, the last bit about Garbers being the difference. I think the, the bye week is important for two reasons. Uh, primarily health is the first. So what seems like the entire offensive line, some of which like gentle Williams and Will Craig, we're not getting back, but everybody else, hopefully we're getting back. Um, and then just like being able to get reps on the O-line for some of these guys that came in uh, during the Oregon game. Like we got to get these guys getting experience because it just looks like, you know, we're getting killed with injuries this year on the offensive line. Um, and then in the same token, it also is a lot about uh, Monster just getting more and more comfortable, more comfortable with the playbook, more comfortable with his receivers, uh, you know, and just uh, the, and I'm sure I'm probably answering not only one of my own talking points, but also probably another question. I, I think every single person, so I talked to, you know, I was obviously with this big crew of Oregon fans, so I, I think I forgot to shout one out. So, Bobby, here's your shout out. Um, but I was talking with all these guys, including Bobby, and they all said that, you know, the Cal quarterback looked good. It wasn't like they saw a quarterback that they were like, he's not going to be, not going to progress well. They all kind of came away from the game without me prompting anything, saying that, you know, it just needed more reps. And if you really think about it, like second game in a Cal uniform, 
you know, there are throws there that he just overthrew, but he made the right reads. And to me, that's like way more important. I really believe that Monster has a lot of potential here. Uh, if he can just rein in a little bit of his accuracy, especially against some softer defenses, I think this whole Garbers thing and like Garbers being the savior of Cal season, it, I'm not trying to discredit Garbers again, but I just don't think that that storyline will necessarily persist though maybe the way that some people are project, projecting it to. Um, I think Monster is more than capable at the quarterback position. He's got a really strong arm. Uh, it, it's just a matter of like making some throws, like the short throws he needs to be more accurate with, and then some of the long throws he's just putting a little too much on the ball and he's overthrowing his targets. But he's making those throws, and he doesn't seem scared, and he's not turning the ball over. It's not like he's throwing like potential picks. Even the picks that he had, what, Hail Mary, and then uh, it, you know, he threw into tight coverage and it got popped up in the air. Definitely don't make that throw into tight coverage, but um, you know, the stat lines aren't necessarily being too friendly. I don't think we have a huge quarterback issue here, and so therefore you know, my big thing about this week and then the week of preparation for Oregon State is rest, get your head right, and then study as much as you possibly can uh, and be ready to take advantage of one of, you know, the worst defenses in the conference uh, and make a statement out here that we're going to move to five and two and uh, this Cal team isn't to be messed with. So I hope that answers it well with the Garber stuff because I'm not sure it totally did, but I appreciate the question. I guess our next thing regarding that is how do the Bears make the most of the bye week? Is it player recovery, fine-tuning the offensive playbook, or depth chart reevaluation? And I think it's just, I think the question's asking, like, those are just examples, but what, in your mind, would the Bears need to do? Or I guess you kind of answer this. How do we make the most of the bye week? Yeah. Yes, how to make the most of the bye week. I think that's I think that's the question. So you answered the last question about is Garbers the difference, but um I guess you did kind of answer this, huh? Am I just am I just talking in circles? I might be talking in circles. Let's just move on. Um the final two questions that we got before there's one like a general college football statement which is let me read it for you first. So what are the chances we go to Brash after the bye week? If not, what kinds of changes need to be made to, to the offense to cater them to Monster? The next uh, question was, with a lackluster performance by Monster at Oregon, any chance that the coaching staff considers development for the future and leverages the two weeks to prep Brash to play against the OSU? Um, I will answer the last question first for you, and then I'll, I'll toss it back to you for your thoughts. But first thing is, with the lack of the with the performance of Monster, do they consider development for the future? Okay, um, let's let's think about this. Garbers is a redshirt sophomore. Monster's a redshirt junior. So, if you were to play Brash this year, and let's say let's go the two routes. Let's say he comes good then your options next year would most likely mean one of those two guys would probably transfer or do you have another quarterback like battle on your hands going into another season which in this case you're kind of hoping 
that your offense is the anchor of the team and not your defense because you will be reloading so many people on the defensive side of the ball. So that totally derails like your projection of how you kind of want the team to be balanced and held down in terms of experience. Plus on top of that, like let's say we head into next year, then you have seniors like um, Trayvon Clark and Kiko Crawford and and uh, Jeremiah Hawkins, and you're going to have to be playing him with a true sophomore quarterback. Like, I don't think, I definitely just don't think that that's how this coaching staff is going to work, especially with how the season's gone so far and how much hope they have for the rest of the season. I think you, you have to go with the experienced guy. The second thing is, you can't change the brash because we don't know how many reps he's getting. If you're, if you're saying Modster was his performance was lackluster. You also have to look at how many, how many reps he's had because yes, during fall camp, it was pretty much split half and half, but probably like the last week of camp, when you saw Garbers kind of take the QB one role, you saw a monster take a little bit less snaps. And in game week, monster did talk about this. I think it was last week in his press thing. They asked him what's the biggest difference between uh, backup and, and the starting quarterback, and he's like, it's pretty much the reps. He said it's like an 80-20 split. So 80% of the first team snaps are going to QB1. And QB2, who was monster over the last two weeks, uh, well, okay, before the Oregon game, or before the, the injury of the ASU game, um, so I guess the two weeks of the Ole Miss game and the ASU game, he was the QB2, so he was only getting 20% of the the reps every week. And then you saw this first week, he comes away with 80% of those snaps. And look at his improvement from the ASU game to this game. You can't say that there won't be more improvement. We don't know, like, is it going to be an exponential improvement? Is it going to be just some fine-tuning and and maybe his timing with his receivers get better? Regardless, there's going to be better stuff you see from him as he gets more of those first-team snaps. Because if he was only getting second-team or third-team snaps... Like, he has no repertoire with any of his wide receivers, with any of the timing. Um, and it, and then the added factor to this is that entire banged-up offensive line. Like, why would you want to throw a true freshman quarterback out there basically to, to get destroyed um, sometimes? You want a junior or a sophomore guy who's been in the, the weight room for a bit that can take some of those hits and be able to, to withstand it. With a true freshman like Brash, I mean, the dude's got talent for sure, and I've seen him throw in camp. And he can make every throw, and he's he has really good arm talent, but he's still he's still like an eighteen year old kid. Like his body just hasn't been developed enough to be able to take the hits that most likely Monster is going to have to take take throughout the rest of the season if our O line you know is consistently getting hit with the injury bug. So that's my take. I will toss it to you if you want to answer this question. Yeah, I mean. Not much to say on top of that. I think you hit all the all really good points. Um, I think we would have heard more about Spencer Brash now and in more recent weeks if he was really ready to beat out a red shirt junior who is the starter, by the way. Um, and then it, I don't see any reason why we should make the move. Uh, I think that competition is inaccurately casting like we're casting judgment 
uh, based when, on the quarterback when we should really just be observing the, the quality of the competition. And I'm totally fine if, you know, things look bad against Oregon State. I'll, but, like, let's rally together and we can all freak out then. But, um, you know, until then, I just don't see the reason. And the main thing, the reason why is because, like, why are you going to sacrifice that red shirt? Like, let's say that Brash is really the, the answer. And you look at this team, like, to me, like, let's look at this like a baseball evaluation. When you look at, like, wins above replacement. Do you really think that with this defense that the difference here between how we finish the season, it, like we're not competing for the Pac-12 title anymore. We know that's pretty much entirely out of the question. It's not theoretically entirely out, but for all intents and purposes, it's out. So then what are you really wasting that redshirt for? Are you chasing nine wins in a, you know, a higher bowl game? Like if the difference is one win, do you make that move? If it's eight regular season wins versus nine regular season wins, but then you lose an entire season of, you know, what could be, you know, at that point, if they're really that good, what you would envision to be an NFL-ready quarterback, you just don't sacrifice the future for the now, um, in, the, in my mind. So while I think, you know, it's a reasonable question to ask, I, I just think that there's a lot, of, a lot of good reasons maybe, like, why you wouldn't go that direction. I also will tease out our bi-week podcast, which is going to come out in uh, a little bit later here. And we talked with you know, a former Cal football player who mentioned that in his time at Cal, uh, reps were split out 80-20, starter to backup. So to, to Rob's point, there probably hasn't been as many reps. Uh, and the reps that Brash is getting right now, I can almost guarantee it, are against the scout team. And so he's not even he's not taking reps against the takers uh, in, you know, with my experience with the football team. When we had Bridgeford, who was the big hotshot prospect, he just ran scout team all season long. And we still have the same conversations and all that good stuff. But he ran scout team. He doesn't go against the ones. So I think all that sort of uh, combines to make a pretty compelling reason why that that wouldn't happen. Um, It easily could happen, you know, because obviously we're not totally in the know, but. I think you would hear it from the inside reporters. Like, we would get the whispers at this point that, you know, uh, outside of what we heard in fall camp, which was great. I'm not trying to, like, I'm super excited about Spencer Brash, but I just don't think it's coming. Yeah, yeah I, don't I don't think he's ready to play right now. Uh, and this is all going off of what I saw. And granted, that's, geez, it's already been over a month uh, since I've seen these guys in practice because the week of the game and the week before, Last week of spring, uh, fall, or spring training, fall camp, um, the media weren't allowed to. It wasn't an open practice, so you know, judging from what I saw, he looked like a freshman quarterback. He had his issues, um, and he was struggling to learn the playbook. The biggest thing here is, you know, he one of the guys asked, "What kind of changes need to be made to the offense to cater them to Monster?" None to Monster, but if you're going to throw Brash out there, you need to dumb down the playbook a lot. Like very very big time, where it's just one two read or and throw away, or you can't even run any any complex RPOs where he has to make decisions. It's pretty much a, you either hand it off or you throw it to this guy. If not this guy, if not throw it away, and then that totally changes the dynamic of what we're trying to do in terms of our play design, and that takes away so much from the playbook that is already pretty diminished just because of how depleted our O-line is and how much time 
um, our quarterback can get to sit in the pocket and and make go through his reads. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things where yeah, I can see why you'd think that, but you know what? In you know the other side of this is that now that Spencer Brash is the backup, as Coach Wilcox said, he's getting twenty percent of the number two snaps, which means he's getting snaps now and not just playing on the scout team or or whatnot. So. Like, we're already prepping for the future in that way. And if we were to throw out Brash now, oh, Lord, God knows what happens, like, in the offseason, and then it goes into this quarterback battle, and you see quarterbacks leave and, and all that, and our entire, like, roster buildup so far of, like, you know, you want pretty much a quarterback a class, like, that could easily blow up in our faces. And, like, we're already struggling to recruit quarterbacks as it is. It Yeah, it could be bad. Just a kind of we might face that scenario anyways rob i mean realistically if if brash like let's say like we continue to play out this kind of theoretical situation but let's say brash is as good as this question kind of portends him to be then you know you're gonna see that camp battle and there's totally that possibility i mean that if garber's lost his position that he'd be like eh, i'm out um, so like that is, you know, it's not one of those things that I, I, ne- I necessarily say that it, it goes away, but I do think that, um, you definitely complicate issues by doing it now. Cause you're talking about probably like, I don't know what monster would think about that. And then, yeah, I mean, it just starts to get real muddy. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Same here. Um, I guess, uh, we have one one more question, but I want to I want to leave that as like the the ending question, just because it's a it's a broader question, especially and it's about the SB two hundred six, which is the new law that was passed in the state of California um, that allows guys to talk about or to you know for endorsements and and all that. So I'm thinking we'll save that to the end as like a little wrap up uh, question. But let's jump in straight into the the Oregon game. So. Do you got any uh, points you want to start off with, Andy? I'll let you start. Oh, of course. I definitely burned a few of them, (laughs) as I have been known to do. But here's my favorite one. My favorite thing about watching this Cal team play is uh, they get the opposing team to play their style of football. And to me... That is the beauty of this team, is Cal gets their opponents to play their game. Cal got Washington to play their game. Cal gets Ole Miss, pretty much, to play their game. Cal gets Arizona State to play their style of football. It's like Cal dictates what the game is going to be like, and then it's kind of like a coin flip if we're going to win it. And that is truly the beauty of the Wilcox era, is that we did not. We were not able to do that with Dykes. Dykes would have some games where we could come in and kind of run our system, and it would work well. And then we'd have other games where we try to run our system, and people would take us out of it. Sometimes we'd get lucky, like against the like that Utah win, where we would like win in a different way with our defense. But mostly, when we got taken out of our element, everything kind of went off the rails. My favorite thing is we take everybody else off of the rails and then force them to play our style of football. And that's what I thought we did so well, was that the entire Oregon fans were stunned for a lot of this football game and quiet for the, the majority of the first half. And they're looking at me like, who is this Cal fan out here telling us, like, 
we've never seen defense before. Uh, and, and I don't think they were ready for the team, and I don't think they were ready to for the Andy experience either. Um, and so for me, that's what's fun. Um, we can make you know we can make SC look ugly. We can make these teams like Washington State. We can just turn it into our style of football game, and some teams just can't hang with that. So uh, credit to our team for getting teams to kind of play to their terms and then dictate the will of the game. Uh, it's one of these things that I'm pretty unfamiliar with over the last you know decade, and uh, I, I think it's a, a huge underlying strength of this team. All right, let's keep them on the optimism trail for a bit. Here's my, here's my point. The Takers are back, baby. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was so much fun to watch them play. I, I do feel like what we were saying up until this point was true. It was this thing of they want to they, – you know how good the secondary is. They want to sit back. They want to let the, the freshman quarterback, like we played against Shane Daniels or, you know, whoever we played, like they're playing the takers for the first time. Let's, let's sit back and see if they want to really test us. And that's kind of what they did over the last first few games. And then you go into this game where you're playing a guy against Herbert, which who you've played multiple times now. And so, and you know what he's capable of. So they were aggressive with their wide receivers. I think they, the caveat here also is that I think they went aggressive because they knew so many of their wide receivers like Schooler and Pittman. This was their first game back from injury. So basically they, they played aggressive with them saying, we know you're back from injury. Let's see if you can go and just hit the ground running. Pittman did a little bit. I mean, he had some amazing catches despite our DBs just being draped all over them. But a lot of times, like, they just didn't have the places to throw. And Herbert with the ball, you know, slinging it, gets it picked off. Almost gets it picked off twice by by Weaver, too, And when Weaver's in coverage. And if it's not... If it's not for him, like with his back turned, I think one of those PI calls was that. Um, another one hit off his helmet. Um, and if he turned around, and I think those are picks. There was also one in the end zone where he got his hands up, and but just just barely got his hands up, just like a second too late, and the ball just sailed in the end zone. Uh, but of course, I mean, it wasn't a touchdown. I think it's just those types of plays um, where now the DBs are playing a little bit more aggressive now because one, they have to. And two, they know who they're playing, so they can they're they're just used to playing those guys. Yeah, that I mean the Weaver play. Uh, yeah, I mean he he almost had that. He almost you know he was in deep coverage on a couple plays. Like right? I think he was uh, going out with a tight end, and he was way downfield, and uh, he definitely didn't turn his back in time for the ball, but he was in perfect position anyways and prevented the throw. Um, and then I think another time he got fired for PI. But, uh, yeah, I, I think when I think about the takers, I think about that Ashton Davis play where it was just beautiful in regards to, like, playing the correct defense and then uh, being able to speed up and accelerate. Like, to me, it was just an NFL-level play. And uh, I'm sure that'll be played on his tape. So, I mean, takers were fantastic. It was tons of fun to watch. Uh, far more turnovers. We could have had more turnovers. I mean, the Herbert fumble when we absolutely crunched that dude and Oregon thought they were getting back in the game and goodness, we came over and just wrecked Herbert. He fumbles and Oregon is so lucky to fall on that football. 
Uh, the one negative of all of the turnovers was that the majority, like they, they all came in way, like they all came where we had to go drive the majority of the field. And then the offense just couldn't take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things. So this actually segues perfectly into my next point, which was, I have some serious concerns about the punting game. I, I think that the punting, punting and field position made this game into a loss. This game had Washington at Berkeley 2018 written all over it. Um, you put the ball back where Herbert and the Oregon offense is in, you know, maybe on their 15 or on their 10. And you remember that Weaver pick six happened when uh, Washington was really backed up. And obviously they put in their backup quarterback and we know how that went. But um, I just was waiting for the defense to make that one final play and to actually attach points to it because the offense wasn't going to get it done. And we've seen it time and time again. I think the biggest Achilles heel to us doing that was the fact that every time we punted, it seemed like we didn't get any hang time on the punt, and it seemed like we were relying on a long bounce. And so what finally happened, the Oregon return man stepped up into the kick, caught it, and then brought it back inside. And then what happens, Oregon scores a touchdown. Uh, it just was, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if Steven Coots is fully healthy, but I you know, thought given that I had mentioned that I thought he was going to win us a game, this was the type of game that his ability to, to punt could have, could have won us this game, and it didn't. Um, and special teams overall has been you know, a disappointment this year. Uh, so I'm curious if you saw the same thing, but I, I, I just sort of felt like uh, that was a huge underlying uh, factor to deciding the outcome of this football game. Yeah, not only have he had issues with the actual punting, which Kutz was injured, uh, he was nicked up, and, you know, he, I think, is now starting to get healthy. So maybe the bye week, I think, helps him out a lot. And we kind of forced him out there because of our punting struggles with Longhetto punting the ball, who's not naturally a punter. So, yeah, we had some struggles with that. But not only did we have struggles with the actual kicking aspect of it, and, you know, we also had issues with, Greg Thomas not being able to hit field goals but if you look at his season and career stats like he's pretty much like right at like a little above average college kicker so I mean it's not anything too crazy like he's not like missing you know 50 yarders or you know 19 yard kicks but the coverages on punt and kick return or kickoffs is definitely becoming an issue too and especially on punt returns because we let Javon Holland rip one back and that set up one of their touchdowns so like you know we can only do so much defensively if we're not if they're not given the yards because they the defense is feeling like one of those old school tedford defenses where they're totally bending not breaking and it it shows if you look at the stats we're giving up a ton of yards but we're not giving up scores the streak still continues we haven't given up a, a 20 24 or more points or more than 24 points to any team, I think in, uh, this was our 12th game doing that. So, you know, it's basically a season's worth of games where we didn't give up more than 24 points. Like, that's that's incredible. But you can only do that so often if you're not getting an advantageous field position to be able to, to work in some of that. Because it's college football, right? Like, there's going to be first downs where you want to get the stop right away to only give them, like, a yard or an incompletion. But it's also college football. So, you know, Oregon pushed our defensive line around. They got the two, three yards on the first down, and now they're in second and second and seven or second and six. And 
now they have an opportunity to do more things. But if our defense does that, it like let's say gets gives them the first down, but then they're they have more downs to play with and they decide to be a little bit more aggressive on certain downs and you get those chances to work yourself with. But they you didn't have that this game because we were constantly punting the ball and putting them basically I think I think their average starting position was like somewhere in the like 35 40 range that's you're nearly at halfway or midfield by the time you know you're starting your drive so it was a it it's an issue but I also think it's something correctable if if Coots can get healthy because it's not like a, a like a highly touted punter has come in like a you know, like a freshman, right? Like, we know what Coots can do when he's healthy. It's a matter of, is he healthy? And if he's not, can he get healthy in two weeks? Which well, I'm hoping that the answer is yes. Um, but I guess I can I can go off of that um, and just talk about a, a negative that I had was the defense is beatable if you have a mobile quarterback. And I'm not talking about a mobile quarterback in the sense of like a true, true dual threat, like a you know, like a, a guy who, who runs the RPO and pulls often and decides to run on his own. But a guy who can scramble is, I think, the Achilles heel to this defense. Because we lock down so well in coverage that if a quarterback is unable to run out of the pocket and extend the play, which you saw Jaden Daniels do, he exploited the defense in a way we hadn't seen before. Because he's now not only a threat moving... But he's also a threat with his eyes down the field and making those throws and extending the plays, which, of course, we talked about, which breaks down the, the defensive coverage on the backside. So that's what Herbert kind of did to us on a couple plays where he would move out of the pocket, survey the field, if not take off and go for the run. We do a great job of stopping the RPO, but we don't do a great job of what we do post a, a pocket collapse, whether it's the D-line getting to the quarterback or... Um, us, you know, stopping a scramble play. Is that a matter? Like, is that a matter? Do you blame? Not blame. <laughs> Do you associate that uh, weakness to the entirety of the defense? Or do you associate that weakness to the ineffectiveness of the defensive line? I think you kind of got to go with both, right? Because it, it, as much as we like to zone in on one, like the defense works as a whole unit. Like if the defensive line gets into the backfield and disrupts a quarterback with QB hurries or with like tip balls, what does that do? That gives your defensive backs and your linebackers a chance to make a play on the ball. On the flip side, if your defensive backs and your linebackers are dropping back into coverage and not letting the opposing quarterback have anywhere to throw, then at that point, he's going to start to panic, which means that your defensive line should get to the quarterback by that time. Like if the quarter, if the defensive backs and the everyone in coverage is buying you like four or five seconds, that should be enough time for the defensive line to disrupt the quarterback. The only thing is the two quarterbacks that have beaten us has been quarterbacks that come out of the pocket. And then we kind of go into this thing of, Let's not let them do the Aaron Rodgers thing and let wide receivers beat us over the top. So we keep everything in front, which means either the quarterback has a lane to run for, you know, 10, 15 yards, or he finds a wide receiver that's open in that little gap between the linebacker and the safety. 
or in front of the linebacker. There's a lot more space there. So it, I think it goes both ways, but I, I'm looking at you know who we have on the roster and, and who's been playing so far, and some guys on the defensive line are playing out of position. So I kind of have to look at the defensive line and go, yeah, that, that might be where the issue is because the two games we've lost is where the defensive line has been pushed around by the offensive line the most. Yeah, I think to to me the uh, the classic play that I'm kind of thinking about is when the quarterback has time to step up in the pocket and maybe leak out a little bit, but then you have the D lineman that kind of closes on them from behind. And uh, I think we had a couple of those plays last season, and we just don't have as many of them this season, um, for better or for worse. And uh, I think it's hurting right now. So it's, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think I might put a little bit more of an emphasis on it um, or a little bit more of assign some of that to you know, the lack of like maybe like our pass rusher. I just missed having like Alex Funches, dude. He, he was all over the field and uh, you'd see his hair like waving behind his helmet and, and he would just flag guys down. Uh, we just don't have as much of that. So maybe to that point, maybe you're right. Maybe it is more of a, a statement about the defense as a whole than it is about a particular unit. But it is absolutely something we're missing. All right. Do you have any more points or should I go with another point? Yeah, I got my last and final point, actually. So I just want to kind of highlight what I think. Uh, you know, fun fact, I'm going to... This will be fun. I haven't told Rob I'm going to do this. But Rob and I had talked in the offseason about writing an article called Turning Points where the game sort of changed and where you could go down and isolate a couple of moments. And maybe Rob's going to write something like that, so I just spoiled that for him. And maybe not, but I'm going to try and do that right now. And I think that the, <laughs> I think that the one moment in the game that I really looked at and immediately sort of had that feeling of that's something we're going to want back was when Hawkins broke free and Modster missed him by about four or five yards. And, and because it was Hawkins, who's the fastest player on our team, and because the safety was late, which means that he could have hit him in stride, and I think that was probably a touchdown, um, that to me was the biggest play uh, of maybe the entire game that we missed out on. Uh, it would have just been a totally different football game. Yes, I think you could make a good case for one of my other kind of small talking points, which was the Greg Thomas, you know, missed field goal. I'm not necessarily sure I would say I would be, I was the one saying go for it there. I was just saying like make the field goal. I turned to, to Stefan, you know, whose bachelor party it was, and I, I Ducks fan, he's like, is this kicker good? And I was like, yeah, he doesn't miss inside the 40. And what does he do? He misses it. Uh, the other one I can't really blame. He got pushed back by a false start penalty, and it was late in the game anyways. But that one, like going up 10-0 versus 7-0, just the whole dynamic, two score versus one score, uh, I think that was pretty big. But the biggest one for me was that Hawkins throw. Um, and that's the throw that I think Monster probably makes in a couple of weeks. So hopefully, right? That's, that's the optimist of me saying that that's the one where – he just gets more time with it, and you know, and, and they connect on that. But that play was just like there for the taking, and it was such a bummer that we didn't make that happen. Yeah, that that definitely that play was definitely one of the bigger ones. Um, but then, like 
that's why I'm optimistic uh, with Botzer because I guess my this is my uh, I guess the the turning point for me in terms of like my looking at Monster and my eval of him was that throw to Jake Tonjes. Holy crap! That over the shoulder throw where he just he caught it on a shoulder pad like you can't throw that any better. <laughs> like that's an NFL type throw that we haven't seen that type of throw since probably Jared Goff was here. And that was an incredible throw. And Nick, you know, mentioned this too. He he was like, you see Monster make these incredible NFL caliber throws. And then you see him miss these wide open passes by four, four to ten yards. And I think I'm gonna be the optimist here with you and just say, yeah, those four, five, four to ten yard plays that he misses, those he get he gets back when he gets the reps and he understands what wide receivers are going to do when the coverage is broken. And it's just a matter of like, you know, getting that down with, okay, so now I know on a, on like that play, if the safety comes over too deep or too shallow, and I know Jeremiah Hawk, Jeremiah is going to cut up field that gives him an easier understanding of where to place the ball versus this. I think he just, he saw it and he threw it, but he thought Jeremiah could get there just wasn't fast enough. Yeah, spot on. Totally agree. And uh, I, and I, yeah, I mean, that was it. That's and it's great to hear kind of like your perspective too, because all I have is the one in the stands. And uh, I think like the Tonjes throw, I, I have a harder time even. Like, <laughs> I'm really appreciating that. And so that's the beauty of kind of living in my ignorant bliss, being up here in the in the as I said, like the 69th row of the stadium of Watson. Um, which, by the way, is just an incredible place to watch a football game. And the views were incredible. Oregon is so beautiful. It's so loud. It has this really weird old feel of, like, when you go to an away game, it's kind of like this old, like, Roman Empire vibe where, like, the gladiators are coming in from the different provinces. And then you're in there and everyone's wearing the gear and it's like, you're in enemy territory now. It was just really, it was just one of those really fun fun experiences and uh and, and at least Austin like everyone was super nice to me this year as I said before so um yeah the stadium experience couldn't have been any better uh I do have a couple last points and I'll just run through these and uh I if you want to talk about any of these I would love to hear your thoughts but uh first one is the run defense uh, it's definitely still exploitable. Um, I think any run between the tackles, especially for running power, we just can't stop because we just don't have the the bodies to do so. Second thing is teams are starting to play away from Evan Weaver, and it's starting to work. I think they're looking at the defense and going, all right, they line up two inside linebackers. Let's run a play to the other guy and force him to chase us. And it's forcing Coindeng to learn and you know gain experience on the fly but it's also hurting us because we're giving up more yards in that direction. Third thing is, we talked about this, but Monster has definitely improved from the Arizona State game to this Oregon game. And the amount of improvement he made, despite going into enemy territory like that, great. And we're going to need Kekoa back faster because I think with Kekoa back, it balances the playmaking across the field. Like, not only do you have Trayvon now on one side, but you have Kiko on the other. And then you have Jeremiah and Nico kind of running the middle of the field and running those underneath routes. And then you also have a guy like Tanjas who's looking like a pretty solid tight end playmaker. 
Last thing, having your center go out and having to change to a center, having to change centers, and then having a true freshman at right guard at Autzen, recipe for disaster. <laughs> like, I, there's no other way to put it. And we saw that because we saw Metower, you know, with false start after false start and just getting that. The biggest thing is, it. I don't know if you saw this, but in the game, there was a moment after one of those false starts where Coach Wilcox is basically yelling at the refs. And I think what he was calling for was he was saying, uh, and the announcers kind of insinuated this too, was that the defensive line was calling out our counts and that was throwing off our offensive linemen. The only thing is the closest guy to be able to hear that is the back judge that's sitting basically right in between the linebackers. But Autzen's so loud on the field that you're that you're decently close, but you're not able to hear it. So if they're doing that on the defensive line, they're going to get away with it. And I don't know if you saw that from the field, but that definitely, I think he had a, a reason to be to be angry and to to complain about that, which was, which I think is is a valid point at the very least. Um, but you can't do that in such a loud stadium. But those those were my uh, four ish final points of discussion. If you wanted to. To talk about any of those. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine coming in. We talk about how hard it is for a, a backup quarterback to come in unprepared to a football game, let alone like someone that has to come in at center where you're responsible for calling out. I mean, the center is like calling out all of the defensive alignments and blocking. Like, it, it's such an important position. Uh, it's the one that you couldn't afford to lose, and we did, uh, and we're still competitive. And on top of it, I, th- you know, the one point that I think I'd kind of push back on is there was a lot of I could sunshine, I could throw some sunshine your way about the run defense. You know, uh, yeah, we looked bad, um, and then we knocked the starter out of the game. And ever since that point, I think they averaged like three point four yards per carry. Um, so there was. There was uh, some room for optimism on that. I, I started to see like a decent D-line push. We came up with that fourth down stop. I mean, there were some things that started to look pretty good, or looked, looked better from the run defense. But your point about coin dang and running away from Weaver is spot on. I think Weaver had like six tackles. It was weird. We, I remember Weaver making more of an impact in pass coverage than I do tackling. Um, so that was a weird experience. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, everything else you said, I, I totally agree with. And I think all valid. And uh, it's just one of these weird games. Like, we are kind of resigned right now in the sense, like, it wasn't a game we necessarily expected to win, uh, even though, like, I definitely called it a win at the beginning of the year and still had all of the feelings like we were going to go in and win that football game. And I think the team did, too. Uh, so now it's about how you recover. And we can't go back to 2018 and lose three games in a row and then, you know, and wake up. Like, this has to be, like, let's go get 5-2, and two, and then let's cruise into Utah, and let's go upset Utah because their defense isn't nearly as good as Oregon's. Um, and they play a, a very similar style of football to which we play. Uh, if we can go and do that, you know, you start to look at this Cal team being right back to where they were in regards to national relevance uh, and then setting themselves up to be in a really uh, awesome bowl game, hopefully sometime around New Year's where we can all go down to San Diego. I'm down for the Holiday Bowl. I'm down for that. Andy knows all the great spots in San Diego, so I'm just going to stick 
to his side and just pay for the Uber. And wherever he takes me, we're just going to enjoy ourselves. But hopefully, hopefully it's San Diego. Uh, there was another one that said it was the Red Box Bowl, which would be in Santa Clara, which I I kind of like and don't like just because it's nice, it's close, we can easily get to the game. But at the same time, there's no little, there's no bit of travel involved, which takes away from like the experience as a whole. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, there's... Can you say press box food? <laughs> um, hello, Rob. Are we going to pass on the Levi's, Levi's Stadium press box experience? You do have a point. You do have a point there. Um, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's great, and I'm sure the press box experience from Levi's is, is second to none, arguably, because it's what, one of like the three or four newest like pro arenas in all of the U.S. So, uh, but that's pretty much all I have. Uh, do you have any ending thoughts on this, or are you ready for my spiel on the uh, the the NIL stuff? Yeah, go for the speech. All right. So here's my thing. So SB two hundred six was passed. It doesn't take effect until twenty twenty three. So here's the here's the facts that I I have accrued. No school is going to be paying the players. That's a fact. Second thing, the players will only be able to make money off of their name, uh, image, and likeness. So I believe that doesn't mean that they can like that that doesn't let them still do you know selling their like jersey or. Uh, cleats or any of the equipment and stuff like that that they get from um, the athletics department or their respective schools. But what they can do is, let's say um, they want to, let's say, I don't know, let's say a restaurant uh, somewhere in Berkeley, what can I think of? Top Dog. Let's say Top Dog wants to uh, endorse Christopher Brown Jr. or just use him to, to promote themselves a little bit. They can set Christopher Brown up to sit in front of Top Dog and to do autographs for like a two-hour session and pay Christopher Brown to do that. I don't know. There's no details yet on like what he can sign and, and such. Uh, but like if you – it's probably one of those things where if you bring your own things, he'll sign it for you. But they won't have any like Cal, you know, picture or photo or poster ready for him to sign off. Excuse me. So that's that's how this this bill is introduced and this is going to be across all athletics. So I believe it's not only the the men's side of things but also the women's side of things. So you can imagine like you know, we have some pretty outstanding female athletes um at our university and I feel like a lot of them can easily be just as well endorsed and used for their name and likeness throughout. Like, can you imagine like when Alex Morgan was here or like not even Alex Morgan, like Abby Kim, who's on the, the women's team, the women's soccer team right now. Like she's, she's amazing. She's on the, the national team for crying out loud. So there are people that are going to benefit from this across the board. Like it's not like just like a men's thing or just a women's thing. Like it's, it's all encompassing, but the question that we got regarding this um, was that, what are your thoughts on SB 206? How will that affect recruiting at Cal and the Pac-12 in general? The recruiting at Cal in a perfect world is that it helps. Because now you're now you're able to make an income off of your likeness within the immediate area. 
Does that mean you're going to get like a Ford commercial or like a, you know, as an Apple commercial, you know, for nationwide? Probably not unless you're like a Heisman contender. But you can at least, you know, do it for the neighborhood and the local businesses and, and you know, whatever, whatnot, and, and be able to do it that way. So, yeah, it's going to help the players a lot because it gives them another means of income that's not set standard by what the NCAA has decided to say is the set amount of money you can give to X player across the entire U.S. when living standard of living and cost of living is different in every city, um, let alone every state. So you you got to there, – there has to be some give there. But the thing that – sucks is that we don't know how this is going to play out this puts this puts more onus on all of the other states and all of the other schools because if this does go into actually works and the ncaa decides they can't do anything about it this gives all the schools in california a crazy recruiting tool i'm looking at this going this already starts a recruiting like process for you right now because what does that mean? If the bill comes into to pass in 2023, you could pitch to the recruits right now that are seniors in high school saying, hey, by your senior year, you're going to be able to, to make money off of your image and likeness. Like You're going to be able to do it. And now they can talk to the 2021 kids. And they're like, yeah, by your junior year, you're going to be able to, to sell your image and likeness and, and make money off of that throughout you know the, the Bay Area and areas like that. The only thing here that... I'm concerned with is if this becomes a national thing, the only the only issue I have is how do you regulate where the money is going and how it's getting to them? Like, like not in the sense of like how much they're paying, but like, is it just, you know, is it like an under the table thing or like a, a, a shadow deal that we've seen, you know, happen across college athletics already where, you know, it's basically in a weird sense, like funneling money, right? Like you're, you're paying the player, but like you're paying them through a legitimate business. So does that become unfair recruiting advantages? Like if you're a top tier uh, college football program and you have the donors that are willing to front it, and let's say a donor has, you know, like a, a cupcake shop um, in front of the university and they decide to use one of the recruits as the photo um, for their year like they sign a contract saying like yeah for the first year that you're here on campus like we'll pay you x amount of money for using your your face across the board like does that become like a recruiting tool that's like not really beneficial to the player but more used as a way to to entice these players to come to those universities that's where the iffy thing starts but all in all this is great for the players because if this passes and it goes to becoming a nationwide thing these guys are finally going to be able to make just a sliver of the portion of of finances that are available in college athletics outside of the NCAA. So those are my thoughts on it. Um, Andy, if you got any thoughts, please go ahead. Yeah, um, I think the one question I have, damn, I've been I've been doing the counterpoint tonight, is that I wonder. Uh, if coaches are really going to recruit off of it without really understanding it? Is it like one of those things that you could get in trouble with by sort of talking to something that maybe isn't quite real yet or you don't really have a full understanding of how it's going to be implemented? 
Um, so when I think about the the recruiting class, I guess I guess when you're talking to 2021, uh, I just think like I wonder how much of it they're really going to be able to talk to at this point in time because you know what we've seen is uh, I don't even know if the conference. I don't think the conference has any idea what the real impact is. You can kind of tell in their statement, but uh, other, yeah, I mean, great, super thorough analysis uh, on it. And uh, I, I do expect it to change, have a, a big spill or I guess like downstream impact on the rest of, of college football. So I know that I believe the state of Pennsylvania is introducing a similar bill. And I think maybe, uh, there's another state in there that I'm leaving out. So it, that will be really important in kind of how it manifests itself now across the country now that California has kind of taken that first step. And it was really cool how Gavin Newsom, I thought it was really cool how he did it. Um, he, you know, went on the barbershop on HBO and like signed it with LeBron and, you know, a, a former college players. And I, I just thought like the way that it was handled in regards to the topic of conversation it was all really relevant. And it was all done with a lot of player perspective. And it's always fascinating to get that. So uh, those are my thoughts, and and I'll kind of leave you with those. All right. That's pretty much it. That's our BearCast for the week. Um, As Andy said, you can look out for us uh, with another podcast coming later this week with a very, very special guest. I'll say this. It was so much fun recording that podcast, which we did right before recording this. And it was so insightful um, that, yeah, I'm, I'm already wanting to get him back onto the podcast already. But, Andy, if you want to leave a little teaser. I already left my teaser. You guys are going to have to go back and find that little nugget of gold. <laughs> That's the only one I'm leaving. All right. Well, as always, uh, you can find us on Twitter at CGB Bearcast. So follow us, tweet at us. Uh, you know, send us questions or comments or topics that you wanna you want us to talk about and answer during the game, before the game, after the game. Um, we'll just aggregate all of those. So don't feel free to to tweet at us. Um, you can find me at Rob Eleven HWNG. You can find Andy at Andy JV Smode. And you can find all our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. Um, and I think that's about it. So there's no game this week. Uh, but the Oregon State game, which is homecoming game, with an Oski bobblehead giveaway for the first 10,000 fans, is slated for an 11.30 a.m. kickoff, a very early kickoff on Pac-12 Network. So if you're in the area, please come out. Um, it's going to be a great time. Uh, and, you know, it's an early game, so you pretty much get the rest of your day. We'll be out by four. Or we'll be out by, what, two? So you'll have the entire day to yourself um, after the game or before the game. If you want to get up earlier, I guess. But yeah, and that's it. And so, as always, go Bears. Go Bears.